0: Have you ever noticed that sometimes religion, people's religion doesn't make a lot of sense? It's a strange thing, you know, sometimes you wonder, does any of it make sense? For example, God gives us commandments, God gave us commandments, this is sort of the theory how that people, some people think, God gave us commandments that he knew no one could keep and then kills people for not keeping them. You know, it's sort of a a mindset that Jesus would tell us to keep the commandments when he knew no one could keep them. I mean, this is not the way I think. I think through the power of the Holy Spirit that keeping the commandments is actually possible through real conversion. But in people's minds, there is this illusion that religious people have that no one, and I've heard it over and over and over again. Well, no one can keep the commandments. And it's impossible to keep the com- commandments. You're lucky if you can go five minutes and keep the commandments. In fact, as soon as you walk out the door, you're going to break one. You've know, you heard the expression, well, we all sin. How many times have I heard that? Well, we all sin. I sin, you sin, we all sin. You know. I'm probably getting ready to sin right now. And probably The moment I step out the door, I'm going to sin. It's just going to hit me. I'm going to sin. You know, it's this concept. Then I've heard, well, if we could keep the commandments, Christ would not have to die for our sins. Now, I understand that. I understand that. Well, I'll get to that, that we all sin, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But in John, you don't have to turn out, John 14 and verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. Well, wait a minute, Jesus, what are you talking... Don't you know that no one can keep the commandments? Don't you understand, Jesus, that you shouldn't have even said that? If you love me, keep my commandments? There was a... a, uh, Let me get my train of thought here, and then lost myself here. Totally, you know, a brain freeze or whatever. But anyway... uh, there was a, a rich young ruler that came to Jesus and said, you know, Master, what good things sh- shall I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, but if you want to enter, enter into life, keep the commandments. And this rich young ruler came back and said, well, which? He asked the million dollar question, which? And Jesus begins to tick them off. Thou shalt not do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Is there anybody that doesn't, is not with me on what he's talking about? That, you know could this be the 10 commandments that he's talking about that he's clicking off right here yes he's clicking off the 10 commandments now i understand that all have sinned and come short of the glory of god the fact that we are all that we have all sinned is just a matter of fact okay but the decision once having been converted once having been called once having been received the spirit of god through the laying on of hands through baptism, immersion, you know. The decision to continue to live in sin is a choice that you make. It is a choice that you make. The Bible puts it like this. Romans 6 and verse 1. You don't have to necessarily turn there. But what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. You know, I I imagine a lot of religious people would say, Yeah, we should continue. (laughs) That's the life I'm living. I'm living in sin, you know, whatever. But he says, God forbid. So if you're a Christian, once you have been forgiven by God's grace, shall we continue to live in sin? God forbid. God forbid. Now maybe the fact that don't mean to pick on it, but maybe the fact that you are still making the decision to live in sin reveals much about your conversion and Christianity. Maybe that reveals something about it. Could it? You know, uh, Christians, I believe, have sold themselves out to be a beautiful losers. That was a Bob Seger song, "Beautiful Losers." When are you going to fall? because you're going to fall, you know. Uh, Christ died so that we could be victorious in keeping the commandments. You know, there was a a woman caught in the act of adultery. They brought the woman to Jesus. Now, I, I thought it took two to do that. I mean, maybe that's... Maybe I'm overlooking something here. But they did not bring the man. How did he weasel his way out of this? I mean, this woman was caught in the act. Okay, in the act of what? <laughs> uh, I thought there was another person involved in that. But they didn't bring the guy. They brought the woman. You know, they were going to kill her, stone her to death. And you know the story. Jesus said, does no man condemn you? And she said, no, no, Lord. And he said, no, ma-, said, and Jesus said, neither do I. Go, uh-oh, listen to this. Neither neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Well, Jesus, that's impossible. Don't you know that you can't keep the commandments? Not really. What do you mean, go and sin no more? You see, there are winners and losers when it comes to Christians. The loser says, Christ died so that I could live out the rest of my life of... Sin and confess, sin and confess, sin and confess, no victory. No victory. The winners say Christ died so that I could be victorious over this particular sin. I can overcome it. By God's grace, by God's power, by God's spirit, I can get the victory over this thing that I'm struggling with. The the losers have surrendered to a life of defeat. The winners will not give up until there is sound victory. And I'm telling you, churches are full of losers. They think like losers. And what you think, the way you think will be the way your life is. If you're thinking like a loser, you will end up being a loser. And I think there's a lot of religious losers in the world. Now, I want to sort of just... I want mean, to look at this scripture, sort of blow out of the water the idea that no, well, no one can keep the commandments. You know? no. Let's look at Luke 1 and verse 5. Luke 1 and verse 5, <clears throat> and ask the question, what planet were these people from? Maybe they were aliens that came. I mean, where, where do you find such people like this? Luke 1 and verse 5, Luke 1 and verse 5. There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest named Zacharias. Zacchaeus. Zacharias? Is that right? Oh, boy. Of the course of Abijah and his wife and the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and in ordinances of the Lord blameless. You realize that, that's, that, that says a lot right there. You know, that, that says a lot. But you know it's easier to sell yourself out and just say, yeah, but you know, none of us can do that. None of us can keep the law. None of us can keep the commandments. None of us we, we can do this. It's easier to just sell out to be a beautiful loser. Now, question. What is the work of the Holy Spirit? I think the churches have denied the work of the Holy Spirit. It's turned it into a carnival show of jumping church pews, speaking in a gibberish that no one can understand, acting like a buffoon, You know, look, if you want to be entertained, go to a circus. Don't go to church to be entertained. That's not the reason for church. You know, you can go to, you know, again, the circus. All right. Ezekiel 36 and verse 26. We're asking what is the work of the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 36 and verse 26 says this. It says, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. Notice that this is like an operation. This is a spiritual operation that God's going to work on us. I'm going to take away that stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you, look at it, cause you to walk in my way, my statues, and keep my judgments and do them. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, lest we think, well, that's an old covenant idea, That that can't be right. Well, let's take a look at Hebrews 10 and verse 16. Hebrews 10 and verse 16 says this. It says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. So this is, okay, the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of people would say, okay, but yeah, we're, we're saved by grace. I understand that. But what is the work of grace? Let's take a look at the work of grace. Titus 2 and verse 11. Titus 2 and verse 11. Saved by grace. I, I agree with that. You know, Undeserved pardon. You don't deserve to be forgiven, but you are forgiven. You mess up and God forgives you again. But let's look at grace. Titus 2 and verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared into all men, teaching us. Now what does it teach us? What does grace teach us? Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. We're not talking about taking you out of this world. You know, this world is what gives us the biggest fit. This world is where all the temptations at. No, we're not going to take you out of this world. We're going to teach you how to do this here in the world. This is the power of God's grace. You know, there's the power of God's grace to forgive you when you mess up, but there's also the power of, of changing your life, changing the way you are, making you into a new person. What is the work of the Holy Spirit? Well, it says here, Deny ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present world shall we continue in sin that grace may abound god forbid now let me ask you a question okay how hard is it for you not to steal to take your grubby hands and take something that's not how hard is that i'm not going to steal Are you really tempted by that daily and I got to steal something right now. No. No. How hard is it for you not to kill somebody? Are you really, you know, are you really just out there, I got to kill somebody quick, you know? Uh, No, of course not. All right, how hard is it to not commit adultery? Speaking to you men. Okay. Well, okay. Okay, adultery. No, I I never cheated on my wife. But what about what about goes on between the ears? Jesus lifts the law to that spiritual level and says, you know, if you think the thought, you're guilty of doing the action. You're guilty of sin. But, you know, even the thoughts, you know, someone said you cannot be tempted by a thought you don't think. Is it possible for you to say, I'm not going down, I'm not taking my mind down that road? Is that possible? Yes, it's possible. It's very possible. If victory over sin is not possible, then what is the point of religion? What is the point of a relationship with God? What is the point of grace and forgiveness? What is the point of the power of the Holy Spirit if victory over sin is not possible? Now when I talk about victory over sin, you know, don't, don't, I'm not talking about necessarily just perfectly in all areas of your life. I mean, look, I know we make mistakes. There are sins out of ignorance that we're unaware of, that we commit. I understand that. But let me, let, me, let me tell you what I'm talking about. I'm talking about specifically, okay, name your sin. Name the thing that you struggle with. Name that particular issue. It may be lust, it may be anger. It'll, the list could go on. Well, what is, your, what is that thing that really gives you a fit. That's what I'm talking about. Is it possible for you to overcome that? You know, I'm talking to people who know they are sinners struggling with a specific area. I am not talking to... You ever met people that... They sort of look, they view themselves... You know, I've, I've been a Christian all my life. Uh, I was born a Christian. You know, I, I've loved Jesus all of my... I've met so many people like that. And, and they've never struggled with anything. Not really, not in their mind. You know, they just, they've been a lover of God all of their life, and they'll, they'll die lover of God. You know, I'm not even talking to people like that. God's not even working with you if you fit into that category. You got an, Jesus said, I haven't come to call the righteous. Get The righteous are out of the loop. I'm not working with them. I've come to call the sinner. To re- I want sinners, and there's a reason God wants sinners, because he's going to change you into a new man. You present a challenge to God. God says, i got something to work. I've got a dirty, rotten, stinking sinner. And, and he's not fit to be scraped up off the back of a toilet and flushed down it. I want to work with him. That's the one I want to work with. <clears throat> you know, I believe people can be deeply religious and not know that they are sinners. I mean, deeply really, They can't get enough of church. It's six days a week, twice on Sunday of just church going. It's conferences. It's a, I can't get enough of religion. And th- yet they've never come to a point where they know what they are. There is either victory over sin or religion is a forest. It's nothing. It's nothing. John 8 and verse 31, Jesus dealt with a group of people. They were religious people they viewed themselves as God's people as righteous as good and they had a problem they didn't realize they were sinners john 8 and verse 31 then then said jesus to those jews which believed on him if you continue in my word then you are my disciples indeed and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free now free from what free from the bondage of sin they answered and said we be abraham's seed and we're never in bondage to any man how say you shall be made free jesus here it is he hits the nail on the head jesus answered and said verily verily i say to you whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin they didn't get it they did not make that connection they didn't view themselves as sinners you know you know jesus only dealt with one group of people sinners. But that one group broke down into two different mindsets. One group of people that Jesus dealt with knew they were sinners. The other group did not. They were all sinners. (laughs) The one group knew it, the other group didn't. So, Whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin. Again, name your sin. What are you struggling with? Do you know that you're a sinner? i got great news. You can obtain freedom, Jesus, can make you free. How? Well, it starts by repentance. Repentance of sin. You accept Christ as your personal Savior, understanding that if you were the only person who had ever lived and existed, Jesus would have still come down here And died for you personal Savior baptism and receiving the Spirit of God impregnate it with God's Spirit and that Spirit will lead you into the journey of true freedom now freedom doesn't come overnight there are lessons that God wants us to learn in the process there's a song I heard recently sweetly broken totally surrendered that's how God works with us The broken can be painful, but you're sweetly broken. And it's a process, your total surrender is what God is working toward in your life. It's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. I just want to read some Old Testament scriptures about God's plea to the wicked, to the sinner to turn. Isaiah 55, 55 and verse 6, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Ezekiel 18 and verse 30 says, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his way, says the Lord. Repent and turn yourself from your transgression. So iniquity shall not be your ruin. Man, that's powerful. That sin will not bring you to your ruin. God in His great love for us doesn't want sin to ruin you, to mess you up, to destroy you. Ezekiel 18 and verse 31. Cast away all your transgressions whereby you have transgressed and make you a new heart and a new spirit for why will you die, O house of Israel? You know, our potential, we need to be aware of this. Even, you know, having the Spirit of God, our potential to do bad things is often great. It still can be. Hazel, when told by the prophet that he would become the king of Syria and would massacre thousands of men and women, said in response, is your servant a dog that he would do such a thing as that? And yet the prophecy came true. He did just that. He massacred men, women, and children. That story is found in 2 Kings 8 and verse 13. Our potential to be a dog. (laughs) David, a man after God's own heart, might would have said, am I a dog that I would go out and commit adultery and have the woman's husband killed to cover my sin? What do you think I am, a dog? Our potential is there and you need to be aware of it to do bad things, to sin, to fall short. And there's only one way to get rid of our great potential of sin's desire and that is Jesus Christ can make you free. Now, now, If we call ourselves Christians, why were you redeemed? Were we redeemed to live in sin? Absolutely not. Redemption requires transformation. If you're not being transformed by the power of God's Spirit, you've not been redeemed. You have not been redeemed. You know, do we, especially as we're nearing this season, Do we believe in sin more than God? You know, Adam and Eve, by their choices, revealed they believed in sin. They trusted, you know, that area more than they did God. Today we have tons of religion. We have people flocking to church every weekend, people claiming to be redeemed by the blood. But there is no transformation. Do you see a transformation in America? Do you see us on the right path? Do you see the 450,000 churches that dot our land and the 650,000 preachers In America, way too many, way too many, (laughs) and they need to fire about about 80% of those, uh, maybe 90%, and speak the truth of God's Word. But do we see a nation that is getting closer to God? No, we don't. We don't see that. What does that tell you? It tells you you can't claim to be redeemed without transformation. I mentioned this last week, but when God redeemed the children of Israel from Egypt, they were told to put the blood on their houses on the side post of their doors and they would be redeemed and but the interesting thing is those people, the Israelites, they would never return to their homes again. Ain't gonna need this house no longer. Ain't gonna live here no more. (laughs) You're leaving your home, you're leaving your land, You're leaving your king, King Pharaoh, which is a type of Satan, the devil. You're leaving slavery. You're leaving the bondage. You are going to eat a new kind of food, unleavened bread. You're leaving it all behind because redemption requires transformation. Transform. Now, as we approach renewing our covenant next Sunday. The Bible tells us to examine ourselves. I want to look at this scripture. Let's read this before we close out. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 27. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup for he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself not discerning the Lord's body this is why this is such a serious thing for this cause many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep which is a parable I mean, sickly? and many have died? for what cause? Well, you take a disservice unworthily without self-examination. Without self-examination. For if we would judge ourselves, and there's the key, we should not be judged. If we would examine ourselves as a normal way of life. I admit it's not the most pop, you know, popular thing to do, to, to go around, you know, with, with critical examination of yourself on a regular basis, it's sort of painful from time to time. I sometimes want to think good about myself. Well, I should, you know. <laughs> well, I should think, you know. But you, you know what I'm talking about. Let me tell you the most powerful prayer you can say. God heal me, body, mind, and spirit. If you ask for that, he may just do it. And it, he may put you through the ringer. I want you to heal me, body, you know, I think the three are connected. People today have a, lot, a big thing with, with physical health, and that's important. But I think in a relationship with God, it takes body, physical health, mind, and spirit for, to, to truly come into a relationship with God and, and to ask God, God, I want you to heal me. Body, mind, and spirit. Someone said that change is easy. Once you know what to do, it's fairly easy to change. Knowing that you need to change is the hard part. Change is easy, once you know. But knowing that you need to, that's the tough part. Because we have defense mechanisms that will not even allow us to go down that road that I need to change. like what Cord talked about the mask that we put on. I'm not even going down that dero- road that there could be something about me that, you know. So change is easy. Knowing that you need to change is what we have to pray for. In other words, God, heal me, body, mind, and spirit. Show me in my mind the areas that I need to change. That's not an easy prayer and if god decides to take you up on it it can you can go through some tough times you can go through some tough times because he will he will he may just answer that prayer <laughs> so we're saved we've been redeemed by the blood have we are we being transformed Because redemption without transformation is a lie.